Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Lost in Science, where we have science in your ear holes. <laughs> That's pretty much how it works. Yes, welcome, welcome to Lost in Science, science in your ear holes. Thank you, Manisha. Uh, it is another episode of your favorite science half hour. I'm going to put that out there. Um, my name is Chris, and this week I am going to try and finish off a series that I've been doing on, you know, like what medical research has to tell you about what's good for you and what's bad for you, this kind of stuff. And I'm going to tackle the big question we're all wondering, is saturated fat good or bad for you? Ooh, good Because it's one. been on both sides of the fence, hasn't it? Saturated And it's like yeah. fully unsaturated and monounsaturated, oh, yeah. and then, and then, then, then there's trans. It's, it's like butters and, yeah. and margarines. Yeah, and, and you see every avocado. every week or even twice a week, you see a new kind of scientific study coming yeah. out claiming one side or the other. So um, I am going to try and settle this controversy. Yeah, um, settle the controversy. Um, you do it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I will totally settle it, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the best evidence that I could find says. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Exciting. Well, we're also very lucky because we have two science communicators who are down from the, the ANU, the Australian National University, this week. And I had a chat with both of them. It's Tyrone and Nate, who you might remember from last week. Nate, who brought us the story about climate and weather cool. and climate change last week. Nate's going to be talking to us a little bit about a new colour pigment um, yeah. So this is, is not a whole new colour no, in the no, spectrum? No, no, no. This is a colour pigment. So right. it's a compound. A it's a compound okay. uh, made up of uh, three different elements. And I think it was actually created by accident. But mm. it's got some very cool properties in how it sort of absorbs light cool. in the visible spectrum and then also in the invisible spectrum. So, yeah, um, yeah it's a really interesting story from oh, Nate. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And you're holding up a good example of it right now in the studio, Claire. It looks, it looks beautiful. It is dazzlingly <laughs> blue. Yeah. Yep, just like your jumper. <laughs> I washed it, you know. And your matching shirt. Yeah. Very blue as well. Lovely. Mm. And we also have Tyrone, who is a biotechnologist, who's going to talk to us about some very interesting research that's going on genetically modifying silkworms. Mm -hmm. Silkworms you would remember from childhood as the worms that you would keep in a bucket with a lot of... Um, mulberry leaves, leaves Mulberry it? leaves, yeah. that's right, that's right. Um, you guys had a very weird childhood. God. Oh, it's the Australian childhood, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and genetically modifying silkworms to produce a spider web oh, in, as heard about that. an alternative cool. um, type of a way to actually produce large volumes of spider web, which is stronger than silk. So when are the spider worms coming to get us? Imminently. Right. <laughs> cool. But um, listen to the rest of the program before you run out your doors, everyone. Okay, yes, you are listening to Lost in Science. And as you were saying, there has been a lot of controversy about whether saturated fat is good for you. A lot of this is actually trying to be kind of the, the dichotomy. The, um, you know, is it, is it fat or is it sugar? That is the big demon of the moment, I think, is the way it goes. Yeah, and, and Chris, you've been, you've been tackling some big issues in the sort of media science interface over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Is this another issue that sort of 
Gets your goat. This is this is like gets your I goat. think this is one of the big ones because this is kind of gets down to the dietary advice and yeah. and, and you know the that we should be obeying and this this kind of stuff. So uh, look, one of the controversies earlier this year was I don't know this probably is kind of you know it's fucked my attention, but maybe it's all passed from from popular memory now. So I'll remind you of it. Uh, there was a thing that came out of the UK. It was like hit the news as saying a leading anti-obesity group put out a thing saying that you should eat saturated fat and that all the government guidelines um, were wrong and that saturated fat is good for you. And this is kind of like made the headlines saying, you know, the, the advice from the government is wrong and, you know, the obesity group is saying that. turned out that the obesity group now has been, been riven by schisms. Riven by schisms, is that a thing? Schisms <laughs> by rivens, whatever. And that part of it was just basically a bunch of people who had essentially founded a charity just to basically make this point. And this included your known suspects like Robert Lustig, who's the guy who says that sugar is bad for you and writes books on that topic. So there are some, you know, some very strong interests on, on. He's he's writing books saying sugar is bad for you, so he wants you to eat fat. saturated fat. Yeah, instead. so this is what I'm saying. There seems to be this paper saying there's this dichotomy between yeah. you know is it sugar that's evil and is it fat that's evil. Now the truth of the matter really is that then neither of them are really good for you. It's not a case of, you know, if you think fat is bad, then you're going to eat lots of sugar. Or if you think sugar is bad for you, then you can eat all the butter you want. But you know, um, the yeah, way it so works. Can, in moderation. Can we talk, exactly. Yeah, can we just say in moderation, your body needs fats, your yeah. body needs yeah. sugars. Yeah. Yep. It's just excess of those. This is, this is right. Look, see, a lot of what this comes around down to is then people talking about things like the, the dietary guidelines and this sort of stuff. About what is what is good or bad for you, and the, what they're trying to say is that the government's putting out the wrong guidelines, and the reason people are getting fat is because or getting unhealthy is because they are following the government's incorrect guidelines. Now, the thing we should establish first of all is that people don't follow the government's no. dietary guidelines. I saw a report that said recently that claimed about. So only 7% of, of Australians follow the government dietary guidelines? I think most people, if they paid attention to that kind of stuff, would know snippets of it, like know how much they're meant to have of certain categories, but nobody really knows the full thing. It's not just knowing it, it's, it's obeying it as well. I mean, we know a lot of this stuff, cause, and oh, I think we yeah, mentioned it enough. last week, we are talking about the randomised trials. So the advice generally hasn't changed a lot for thousands mm. of years, which is yeah. to eat all your fruit and vegetables. So, for instance, you know the whole thing of, you know, the um, you're supposed to have five serves of vegetables per day. Uh, now Which the is latest. Quite a lot. It is the latest stats from the Australian Bureau of Statistics say that average was about two point seven serves of vegetables per day is what Australians eat. That less than four percent of the population meets the recommended number of serves. So just less put that there. 4%? Less than four percent. So I don't think we can blame the dietary guidelines if less than four percent are having it. What's a serve? Now I'm confused. Yeah, it's oh, you gonna have to look it up. The other side of the spectrum is something they call discretionary foods. Now this is stuff that's they're not necessarily for your nutrients. They're often high in saturated fat, salt, sugar, or alcohol. And they're recommended that they only consume them. There are sometimes food, basically. Only sometimes for very small amounts. The average Australian gets one-third of their total daily energy from these so-called discretionary foods. So we're clearly not following the guidelines, hmm. is, is the thing. So, yeah, when it comes to the question of, you know, are the guidelines wrong? Well, you know, we're not following them anyway. So maybe don't chuck them out and blame the guidelines, is what I'm saying. Question, going back to the question of whether the fat is good for you or bad for you, this is an idea that, of course, has been around a long time. And essentially, 
the theory behind it is that heart disease and that sort of stuff is when your arteries get clogged with cholesterol, plaques mm-hmm. made out of cholesterol, and that eating more saturated fat increases the amount of cholesterol in your bloodstream that then, yeah, will cause these plaques. Some people debate whether that's a cause and effect thing, but then uh, there have been sort of epidemiological studies that have drawn a connection between the increased saturated fat and the, the rates of heart disease. Now then, of course, other people then come out with their own studies that try and question that. So who do you believe, I guess, then comes down to if you're going to want to decide whether it is good for you or bad for you? Well, do you need to believe anyone because the government puts out guidelines and no one can no well, one actually but personally, personally yourself, them anyway? Should you believe your, uh, you know, people who say saturated fat is good for you or should you believe? So wait, so then, okay, but there's a difference between saturated and unsaturated and trans fats too. So where does that all play into it? Okay, well, this is, this is the thing. So the... Um, the chemically, the um, saturated just means that it's got um, a lot of hydrogen atoms yep. attached to the molecules, whereas unsaturated has some double bonds yep. between yep. the the carbon atoms in the in these like chains of fatty acids. So are they okay? So now I know I'm going to say this, and neither of them is meant to be healthier than the other. But aren't unsaturated fats meant to be like the ones that come from good things like avocados and almonds and things like that? You tend to get yeah, unsaturated fats from vegetables and okay, saturated yep. fats from animal fat and that kind of thing. Yep. Cool. So look, okay, so. It is hard. There is a lot of different studies that think comes out every week saying eat one or eat the other. I'm going to give you the, the advice I always give, which is you go to the, the reputable sources, which in this case being the good old Cochrane Library, the Cochrane Collaboration, which I'm sure I've mentioned before. Have You're frowning. I'm frowning because I haven't ever heard you mention that. Okay. The Cochrane Collaboration is basically an international group. They're meant to do impartial meta-analyses, systematic reviews of the published research. So what they do is they'll, they'll have a question, a research question, and they'll say, these are our criteria for the studies that we want to include mm-hmm. in this. And they will just do a search through the, through the databases, get all the studies, and then compile them together and weight them by quality of whether, you know, how much bias there is in this sort of stuff and, you know, the size of the study, statistical strength, those sort of things. So and they do get, these for everything, not just diet related. They do it for all kinds of medical yep. interventions. Yep. And they have examined this question. And the, the evidence isn't really strong, which is kind of implies that it says that there is you know, a lot of debate here. But essentially what they found is that reducing your saturated fat intake does reduce the incident of basically cardiovascular events, as they put it. Mm-hmm. Um, by 17%, it reduces the incidence of cardiovascular events. However, when they dig Does in, that include heartbreak? No. That does. <laughs> When they dig into it further, it is not so much just cutting out fat altogether, but it is the, actually the replacing of the saturated fat with the unsaturated or polyunsaturated fats, oh, so which is your, your vegetables and this sort of stuff. Um, so that was from a Cochrane review published in 2015. So what should you eat then if, if this is the case? There's another one that they published in 2013 looking at the good old Mediterranean diet. Now, you've probably heard of the Mediterranean diet before. Yep. Olive oil. That's the thing. And, I don't Olives. know, delicious feta. So this yeah, is feta. And, oh, and pasta yeah. and, like, like tomatoes Rice or not tomatoes. including Okay, so this kind of came to the attention from the famous Seven Countries study back a number of decades ago where they basically looked at the incidence of heart disease in different countries and found that the Mediterranean countries had better performance than, than other sort of developed nations. And so they looked at the Mediterranean diet. And you're right, it is all those things. So basically it is... Um, uh, use of olive oil as the main oil, which is a, an, you know an unsaturated fat. It's got low to moderate red wine consumption is included. Um, legumes, 
so your beans and, and pulses, those sort of things. High consumption of grains and cereals, so I guess your, your rice and pasta and those sort of things. Couscous, if you will. Uh, <laughs> high consumption of fruits I, and vegetables. I will not. <laughs> um, low consumption of meat and meat products and oh, increased consumption that... of fish. Oh, um, I was just about to say, I thought yeah, fish was a big yeah. part of it. So fish is not included in meat or meat products. And a moderate consumption of milk and dairy products. And, yeah, they found that basically people who follow the Mediterranean diet do better, so they get better cholesterol reduction of, you know, of cholesterol in the bloodstream from that. But how about following the Mediterranean diet but being out of the Mediterranean? So how much does your environment have to play with all of this? Well, this is actually getting people to study. This is a study where they got people to actually, yeah, to eat this diet, and they found that it improved those those markers. Oh, good. So what it comes back to is all this argument, basically it comes back to the general advice Eat your vegetables, don't eat too much meat, eat plenty of fish, have plenty of grains and pulses and this sort of stuff. And that is the boring advice that has got the best evidence base for it. And that's the best we can do from the current state of consensus medical science. No headlines here. Just common sense. Just common sense is all you're going to get, I'm afraid. I've got some really cool stuff to talk about today, all about colour. What do you reckon, guys? I can't wait for you to colour my world, mate. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So I think a lot of us understand that there are colours. We can see Mm -hmm. them all around us all the time. Yeah, but it's it's visible spectrum. Ooh, visible spectrum of light is that's actually wonderful. We're going to come back and talk about the visible spectrum of light. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, no, you're dead on, but. The fact that there's a visible spectrum of light yep. indicates that there are some that are invisible. Invisible. Yeah, and I've got some really cool new tech stories to give you about the invisible spectrum of yeah. light. Using that properly I can feel help like us make we some don't really talk cool enough about the invisible spectrum. Yeah, well, you know, when you can't see it, it's really, really easy to ignore it, right? And to forget <laughs> that it's there. Right, so, okay, let's start by talking really quickly about what color is so so Mm. color is just a little bit of the spectrum of electromagnetic radiation uh, that happens to be able to be picked up by our eyes so you guys have heard about having cones and rods in your eyes yeah yeah Yeah. so how many cones do we have um ice cream cones or (laughs) no (laughs) traffic cones cones. oh jeez witches hats I, I, well, at least nobody's going to marijuana cones. That's good. Okay, no. So we have three types of cones in our eyes. There's one for red, one for green, one for blue, essentially, is what we're aiming for. Okay, so with colours, it's very, very interesting. Uh, who's heard of primary colours? Yeah. Yep. Everybody? Yep. Yellow, red, blue, primary colours. Yep. I mean, that's what I was taught in you too. Perfect. So, so you yep. mix yellow and blue to get... Green? Yes, excellent. And you mix yellow and red to get... Purple? Orange. Yellow and red? Oh, my bad. <laughs> Oh, no. I think we just discovered that Turan is colorblind, which is actually it's a really interesting problem with people's cones that we might be able to talk about in a minute. But yeah, so those primary colors are the primary colors of paint. So they're the primary colors of pigments. And if you take the primary colors and mix them, you can get all of the different colors that you want. But what happens when you mix all three of them together? So like a gross yeah it's a pretty pooey brown (laughs) baby poo brown yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) well actually um so if you had perfect versions of those pigments so not the cheap stuff you get (laughs) down at the local (laughs) hardware shop or paint supplier but if you got the absolute purest color and mix them all together you would actually end up with black because the way that paints work is that a white light hits them and that has all of the colors in it 
and it absorbs certain parts of the spectrum and reflects others. So with yellow paint, for example, like white light will fall on it and then it'll absorb all the other colors except yellow and then reflect that yellow and that's what your eye sees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. It's really, really easy. But that's not primary colors for everything, just for paint. What happens with light? You guys know this, I imagine? No, please tell us. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) So the primary colors are different. It's not yellow, blue and red anymore. It's now RGB, right? Red, green, and blue. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. RGB. That's yeah. a thing. And that's because it is a thing. And that's because light is additive instead of subtractive. So before we were saying the, the paint absorbed a whole bunch of mm. light and then only reflected one certain color, with light, it, you can add it together. So if you get a red light and a blue light and a green light all shining together, then they combine to make white light. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. the primary colors for light are red, green, and blue. Yeah. Wow, I've been living in the dark. No, oh, you are. That's... <laughs> oh, Tyrone. Okay. <laughs> so, now, that's not all it is when it comes to colour, though. We're not just talking about different wavelengths of light getting mixed together or the white light um, having certain wavelengths subtracted from it. And there are other things that go on as well, like, for example, in butterflies' wings, there aren't any pigments at all. If you wow. look really, really close, you can often find that the butterfly's wings have no colour at all. But I've seen a monarch butterfly and they are just the most brilliant blue. Like they, what, what is going on they there? They are, but they're not dyed at all. There's, there's no actual oh. colour in there. Oh. What's happening there is there are tiny little microstructures on the surface of the wing that makes the light bounce around in a certain way so that only certain colours are bounced out and away from the wing. Wow. So that's like you've seen iridescent animals before, like animals and, and feathers and things that change as you change yeah, the angle of them. they sort of like look like a bit of a rainbow. It's sort of like yeah, it might hard go a bit to pin blue, down, bit of bit green. Blue, yeah, yeah, like um, on the feathers on the back of those ducks you see down at the park. Yeah. yeah. There we go. So yeah. that Dirty comes... park ducks. Feathers. <laughs> Gross. So, yeah, no, that, that comes not from the actual colour of the thing, but from a structure on it that, that's changing the way the light's being bounced around when it hits it. It's really, really interesting stuff. Now, that brings me to a discovery that I've oh. got to talk about. And yeah. There was a new pigment discovered, okay? What? What do you mean a new pigment discovered? <laughs> so, haven't, we, ever, haven't we made all the pigments no. already? So not a new colour. So okay. this colour oh, already existed. Right, okay. yep. This is just a chemical, uh, a small molecule that has this colour that you can okay. use then to dye other things, this specific right. colour. Okay, and it's a blue and it's a really, okay. really gorgeous blue. And actually, yep. I'll just show it to you now. Look at how... Wow, it's like an electric blue. It is the yeah. quintessential, just deep electric blue, isn't it? We it's, will we will put it on our website. Yeah, it's that blue that you want your hair to be if you've decided to dye your hair blue, <laughs> right? It's the, it's the blue that never actually happens, but it's, it's the one you were aiming for originally. <laughs> right? It's totally like just, yeah... The blue that everybody wants, but no one can have. Yeah, yeah. Until now. Until until right now. We'll see. Okay, so we found this pigment completely by accident. So uh, it's a, yeah, it's a researcher. At, it's wonderful. A researcher at Oregon State University was just mucking around trying to figure out some properties of manganese oxide to figure out its electrical properties. Mm. Uh-huh. Heated it to over a thousand degrees. Wow. And then out came this brilliant blue chemical. Whoops. Okay. Now, they've decided to name it for its components, and those are yttrium, indium, and manganese. So they've decided to take the periodic table of the element, like, uh, symbol symbol for it. Yeah. So it's Y. Yeah. I-N. Yeah. 
Yinmen. 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 I'm not. Yinmen. Yinmen. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yinmen Blue. Ah, <laughs> it's sort of a nice name. It, it Yinmen is. Blue. It is. I have a feeling it'll like kind of that min will end up sounding a bit man sort of. So Yinmen Blue. Yinmen Blue. I, I feel. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's really really gorgeous. And the thing is that the the color of this pigment comes from the crystalline structure. Of like the individual little Yinmen blue crystals. And they have this really amazing property. So when light hits it, it reflects light in the blue, right? Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. why it looks blue to your eye. So the blue cones in your eyes pick up that light and you see blue. Yep. The thing is, this crystal has some really interesting properties. Just outside of the blue is an invisible spectrum. Or you start moving out of the visible into the invisible and we get to ultraviolet, Right. So UV rays... So we're talking about the invisible spectrum now. Yeah, you can't see it with your eyes, but it's still there. We know that because you can get a sunburn, right, from UV. Yeah. So it turns out this crystal absorbs UV light. Okay. And when you go down the other end, it keeps absorbing all the way through infrared, which is on the other side of red on the spectrum, and that's heat. So this crystal is really amazing because you can make blue things outside that both reflect heat so mm. they don't absorb it at all and Wait. protect against uv and they protect against uv so they're really they like, can last a really long time because one of those things you know when you look at signs that are around that have been around for like 10 years or something mm. and they're all faded and really really yeah. horrible yeah that's because those colors the things they've used as pigments on those signs are absorbing high energy uv rays right so you can't see that that's happening. But and all that's that, deteriorating all that, the colour. Exactly. That energy breaks down mm-hmm. the pigment. But with this, now we can have a blue that's really, really persistent and can last a long time and also can protect your building or your whatever it is you're painting from heat as well. Yinmen. 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 Yinmen blue. Yin, it's awesome. Hang on. Yinmen for the winmen. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought I'd let you guys know that's just become uh, commercially available and look out for Yinman Blue next time you decide to paint your house bright blue. <laughs> Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. So we have a very special guest in our studio today. Tyrone, welcome to Lost in Science. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. No worries. Now, you are a science communicator Mm -hmm. and you are also a biotechnologist. Is that That, right? That's correct, Claire. I am a biotechnologist. Now, a lot of people might not know what biotechnology actually is. I mean, it's it's, it's a combination of biology and technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, in the world around us, we have a lot of living things and... Mm -hmm. Biotechnology is all about looking at these systems, seeing the cool stuff which is happening, and see if seeing if we as scientists and technologists can either mimic or manipulate it so that we can basically make our human lives better. So what would be one sort of one of the biggest examples or one of the best examples of biotechnology? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have heard about stem cells Mm -hmm. and these are cells that can basically turn into any other kind of cell now if we could harness that it means we could replace damaged tissues in humans bodies and and that's actually one of the things that got me interested in science and biotechnology as a field of study when i went into university so one of my goals which was actually kind of quite science (laughs) fictiony i wanted to i wanted to basically start a 
organ cloning company. Oh, so right. in my mind, I had this vision of this big hall full of these little glass cubes and basically we would take a person's cells and if they needed a new heart, yeah. we'd grow up a heart and if they needed new lungs and livers and all these other things. And I thought that would be pretty sweet. And but, I mean, up until recently, it's been a bit of a pie in the sky to be able to take someone's cells and then turn them into a different sort of cell. Mm-hmm. Because once a cell is, like, you know, set as a heart cell or a skin cell or something like that, you can't sort of turn back the clock and, and sort of reset it as a stem cell. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is, like, why being able to have stem cells would be such an amazing technology because we can then turn it into those other cells that we need. Yeah. Yeah. So as I was studying, I also got interested in bioengineering. And so that's kind of the applied biotechnology. And one of those things that really interested me, one of the things I saw in the world around us is spider silk. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. So Tell me more. Well, spider silk is a naturally occurring material. Obviously, spiders make it. And spider silk is incredibly strong. It's tough. And it's really light. Now, when you're talking about strong, you're talking about sort of weight to strength ratio. Mm -hmm. So how much can that spider web stretch before it snaps? Mm -hmm. And so if if we think about the manufactured world around us, a lot of people will know of steel. And steel, in a lot of people's minds, is a strong and tough material. But spider web silk is actually stronger tougher and lighter than steel. But I wouldn't want to probably go into a building that was made out of spiderweb silk, but I feel like we're going into a building that's made out of steel. Is that a right assumption to make? Um, Or if we had buildings made out of spiderweb silk, that would be okay? Not so much uh, buildings, (laughs) but more like uh, tissue implants and things like that. So if we can use okay. spiderweb silk to replace damaged ligaments and tendons and parts of muscles and things like that. And that's a thing. That's a research area that's happening. That's right. So there are companies in the world, research laboratories, that are looking into harnessing spiderweb silk as something that we can benefit. Now, Claire, I'm sure you'd be wondering, how do we get all of that spiderweb silk? Or how do we get enough spiderweb silk to be able to actually use it? Because spiders... Yeah. They're quite territorial and they are also cannibals. So if you had a whole bunch of spiders, you'd only end up with a couple left because they would have eaten the rest of the spiders. So a lot of this biotechnology and the research going into it is how can we get large quantities, commercial quantities of spiderweb silk? So one of the ways scientists are looking at doing that is taking the spider silk producing gene from spiders and putting that into silkworms. Right, not putting it into a bacteria or something like that, but actually putting it into a silkworm. Uh, That's right. Silkworms is one of the ways. They have tried bacteria. There there are different complications with the science around Mm. that. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people in Australia growing up, going through primary school, they may have had the experience of having silkworms in the classroom. And so silkworms... Totally. I remember so many weekends having to track down the only mulberry Mm -hmm. tree in the the suburb to get some leaves to feed my silkworms. Yeah, that's right. So silkworms, they produce a fair bit of silk. So if we can get this spiderweb silk-producing gene into silkworms, that may be a viable way of getting larger quantities of spiderweb Silk. And obviously the spiderweb silk is stronger than the silkworm silk. 
That's correct. Yeah. And that's why we want to use a spider web silk as opposed to the other kinds of silk, so silkworm silk. Yeah. That's fascinating. And what, what other types of bioengineering are there that stand out? So one of my other favorites is leaves. And leaves being used, or the science behind how leaves work and photosynthesize and get energy, using that or mimicking it as a process of gaining energy within solar cells. So leaves have been around for a long time. (laughs) They're quite efficient. They're still around today. So we look at the science inside. Yeah, that's right. Look at the science inside the leaves. See if we can work out what's going on there and can we apply that in a material science capacity so that we can make our solar panels more efficient and better. So would that be sort of putting chlorophyll, which is the green pigment in leaves that functions during photosynthesis, would that be putting chlorophyll into sort of solar cells or something? So not so much putting chlorophyll in or isolating chlorophyll, but looking at the machinery that leaves use to convert right. so the chloroplasts user, that organelle usable energy so it's kind of like looking at the leaf mm-hmm. the leaves what kind of machinery do they use yep. can we mimic that can we use that oh that's amazing that's sort of like biomimicry engineering isn't yeah, it yeah in a way yes so yeah. like i said at the start looking at the cool things in the world around us how can we scale it up make it bigger better so that human society can benefit from it That's fascinating. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today, Tyrone, and telling us a little bit about some of the really interesting ways that we can help and engineer our world to solve big problems. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Claire. It's been great fun. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.